You're listening to ReachMD, and this is Lipid Illumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, your host, and with me today is Michael B. Bodar, PharmD, currently professor and chair in the Department of Pharmacy Practice at South College School of Pharmacy in Knoxville, Tennessee. Dr. Bodarf will be reviewing generics and manufacturing and what prescribers need to know. Michael, thank you very much for taking time out to talk with us today on Lipid Luminations. Uh, you're welcome. Glad to do it. All right, so let's talk a little bit about uh, generic drugs and uh, you know how the FDA defines it, and uh, then we'll get into the details about equivalence with branded uh, medications, etc. Sure. Technically, a generic drug is a copy of the brand name, and, and what I mean by copy is that it has to be identical in almost every aspect. That means it has to be in the same dosage form, like whether it's a tablet or a capsule, has to have the same strength in milligrams, obviously the same uh, active ingredient, be given by the same route, say orally. And then the, the part that I don't think people understand as well is that uh, the generic is subjected to the same manufacturing, testing, and packaging standards as the original drug. So this is very important. I think you're right. People don't understand it. And many times my patients will ask me, are you sure this is equal to what I was taking before it went generic? And, uh, you know, sometimes they even perceive a difference in side effects when they switch over to a, a generic medication. Tell you us. know, that comes up, I'm sorry, it comes up often because um, even if you're on a branded drug, side effects sort of come and go, uh, and so it makes it very easy to blame it on the generic uh, if someone has recently switched from one generic to another or from a branded drug to a generic drug. So let me ask you this then. Obviously, some of the pills, the generic medicines come in different colors, and that makes the patients get a little concerned that even if the active ingredient is uh, the same or same bioactivity that there might be a difference in the coding of the medication or something to do with the formulation of the capsule itself. Is is that an issue? Uh, I think it's an issue for patients, and I think it's a responsibility of pharmacists if they know that they're changing whoever the generic supplier is for that particular drug, and they note that it is a different color or, or a slightly different size that they let patients know that that change has been made, but that it's not affecting uh, what drug they're actually receiving. Okay, that's that's great. Now, the other thing that patients talk about is uh, whether or not these drugs are made by a bona fide manufacturer or whether they're imported from the West Indies or something. How does the FDA avoid counterfeit generics from getting into the uh, circulation? Well, if it is an FDA-approved drug, uh, and, and hopefully that's what most patients are going to be receiving if it's gone through the distribution system uh, in the United States and into a pharmacy, um, when those products are reviewed by the FDA, uh, as I said before, those companies, no matter if they're in the United States or not, have to be subjected to the same manufacturing uh, standards, and the FDA will do on-site reviews, even if that means they have to go all the way to India to do that. And so these are drugs that come through the FDA. Is there any danger in our patients ordering medications from pharmacies in Canada, for example? Uh, I'm personally against that. I think for cost reasons, you sometimes find people that are supportive of, of such an effort. But I'm personally against it because uh, that's where we start losing control. And I can't guarantee that any other government standards are going to be the same as, as what I'm 
at least familiar with our own FDA using. It seems to me that the news articles that I've seen about counterfeit medications have been in those situations where people are ordering them from outside the United States. Is that your experience? That's been my experience, too, and and it's very tempting to go to these websites that, even though the website may be hosted in a country that you might have confidence in, like a Canada, it doesn't really assure that it's either being reviewed in Canada or or any other country of significance. It could be coming from anywhere under those circumstances. Okay, so we know the onerous process that's required to get a branded medication approved and on the market, and then uh, the research is basically done usually by the companies that are developing the brand name. Tell us a little bit about how generic medications get approved and onto the market. Well, prior to, to 1984, a generic company had to pretty much do the same thing that a branded company would do, which would include all the safety data and larger numbers of trials with, with larger volumes of patients. But there was a, a change in, in the uh, approval process beginning in 1984 Some people abbreviate and call it the Hatch-Waxman Act. But since then, all you have to do is show bioequivalence to your generic drug, and then that generic drug will sort of inherit the brand name drug safety and efficacy profile without having to do those kinds of studies. So in other words, if the active ingredient has the same bioavailability, bioactivity that the drug that was used in a clinical trial had, then you can infer that giving it basically the same compound is probably going to give you the same clinical outcomes? Exactly. Uh, That's the presumption that's made by the FDA in in their uh, bioequivalence testing standards. I guess I should add that there's a range with which you have to show bioequivalence. You know, it's not like 100% identical that you have to show minute by minute the exact same blood levels of of the branded drug. And this accepted range is 80 to 125% of what the branded drug would actually produce in a patient. So, you know, as a doctor of pharmacy, are there any specific medications that you feel less comfortable using a generic versus a brand name? Uh, Me personally, no. An issue that's been raised in the past are for drugs that might have what we would call a a more narrow therapeutic index. Might this range of 80 to 125% be insufficient to assure the same response? And this has been looked at with a variety of drugs. I I think warfarin might be an example that people uh, had concern about when its uh, generics first started coming on the market. And at this point, the official position of the FDA is that there's never been a documented case, even for a narrow therapeutic index drug, of having any kind of problem uh, related to a lower or higher bioavailability outside that range. So uh, I think it's a theoretical issue, but it's never been documented that it's ever created a problem in, in even a single specific patient. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm Dr. Alan Brown, and I'm speaking with Michael Bodorf, PharmD, professor and chair in the Department of Pharmacy Practice at South College School of Pharmacy in Knoxville, Tennessee. Is there any easy way for the practicing physician to quickly identify whether a generic option is available versus a branded medication? There is. Um, uh, since these generics have become more popular in the last probably 25 to, to 30 years, the FDA has created sort of a compendium that you can go to to look for these generic equivalents, and it's called the Orange Book, uh, which is sort of interesting. It's called the Orange Book is that it was created in the month of October, 
uh, and when they were debating what color to make it, it was close enough to Halloween that they chose orange as the color. So there's no other significance to the name of the orange book. But it is available online at the FDA's website, uh, www.fda.gov. And there's a section where you can put in the drug of interest, and then it will list for you drugs that are generically available that have the same dosage strength and the same active ingredient. And there'll be a little column to the left of the drug where it will use the term AB. And what AB means is that the company who has that generic has demonstrated in comparative studies as meeting those bioequivalent standards that we talked about before. Okay, so let me ask you a little philosophy, if I might, and then you can give us some uh, science. Um, Obviously, philosophically, it takes a tremendous amount of investment to bring a drug to market. There are often multiple drugs that are studied uh, by the pharmaceutical companies before they find one that actually comes to market. All of that's very expensive. And then doing the clinical outcome trials that are required also require a huge amount of investment. So how long after a branded uh, medication comes on the market can a generic be introduced? And uh, does that give enough time for us to continue to have innovation and investment in pharmaceuticals? Well, the the first part of that answer is that when you file that patent with your uh, drug, you're given a 20-year exclusivity before generics can become available. And and that can be extended a little bit if you try to go, say, for a pediatric indication or some other extension to that patent, but you can't delay the end of that patent by too many months or years. Philosophically, you know, is that adequate for uh, recouping the investment in the drug? And I think it obviously depends on, on the drug. You know, we have examples of cardiovascular drugs where the standard of care now is that if you don't show a major clinical improvement in terms of morbidity and mortality, you're probably not even going to have that drug get FDA approved. So those kinds of studies and and demands for the drug are going to take a lot longer time to recoup that investment, and then your patent runs out, and so you may not have as much time, as you say, would with uh, an antihypertensive that you don't really have to show uh, morbidity mortality reductions. You can just lower blood pressure, uh, and it's not quite as heavy an investment in many cases. Yes, and I think even for drugs for diabetes now, you have to show a lack of detrimental effect on cardiovascular events, which means you would likely have to do a cardiovascular outcome trial. That's going to take a big chunk of your 20 years out, is it not? Yes, it would. Another sort of more subtle part of that Hatch-Waxman Act that I referred to in in 1984 is there were some patent protection components, and I don't know all the details of the entire act, uh, but there are, I think, one clause in that act is that you were given an additional sort of five years restarting. So if you filed on a certain date and you had 20 years till the patent would expire, and yet because of the extensive clinical testing, you didn't get the drug on the market until maybe seven, nine, 11 years into it, you could dial that clock back by five years and extend the time it takes to maybe recoup your investment. Now, that explains why it seems like occasionally you do see that that sort of thing where one would expect the patent to run out and it gets extended. Yeah, that's one way in which it does get extended. All right. For the last couple of minutes, then, I guess uh, I should ask you your thoughts, being an expert. Should prescribers be leery about prescribing generics? And based on what you've told us so far, it doesn't sound like there's too much to worry about as long as you don't order them from overseas. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. that. That's certainly my opinion. Uh, generic drugs are, are far less expensive in most cases, sometimes by as much as 80 or 85% cheaper. And yet I'm comfortable and confident with the FDA's approval process as long as that drug is AB rated. And there's an, uh, an occasion or two where a company will file for FDA approval of a generic drug and not necessarily meet those approval standards. And as long as they have done some of their own safety testing, then the FDA could approve that drug and not necessarily give it that AB rating. So any uh, prescriber with concern, uh, you know, I would go to the Orange Book. It's online. It's easy to do. And pick your drugs of interest and look for an AB rated. And they'll even show the manufacturer, and, and you might be able to go down the, the right-hand side of uh, the results from doing your search and maybe even recognize some companies that you're familiar with as making a generic drug, and uh, if that won't, makes one even more confident. And I suppose for our listeners, who a lot of them are primary care physicians, if you don't remember exactly how to do that, you can always call your friendly pharmacist, right, and have them look it up for you. Most pharmacies are required by law to have that orange book uh, in its printed form uh, on the shelf in their pharmacy. Well, much to the, the dismay of our pharmacists, I call them on a regular basis and always get great information. So I thank you very much for taking the time to explain to us the things we don't have to worry about regarding generics as well as the whole process of how they come to market and how branded medications come to market. I appreciate the opportunity. So we've come to the conclusion of this program. Thank you again, Dr. Badar, for uh, joining us today. And I'm Dr. Alan Brown. You've been listening to Lipid Lumination, sponsored by the National Lipid Association on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com lipids, featuring podcasts of this and other series. Thank you all very much for listening.